Welcome to Sister Scriptorians, where we are devoted to learning, likening, and lifting others one principle at a time. Welcome back. Today we're going to be talking about Lehi's dream. How many of you are dreamers? I am a little bit. I kind of tend to have anxiety dreams. So if I'm having a lot of anxiety, then I kind of tend to have more vivid and active dreams. My husband doesn't remember any of his dreams. So I'm excited to talk about Lehi's dream and I've been munching on it all week long. Let's first start in 1 Nephi chapter 8. And in the first verse, Nephi mentions, and he makes a point to mention, that they gather together all manner of seeds of every kind. And he says both of grain of every kind, and he says also of the seeds of fruit of every kind. And I just have questions. I just wanted to bring this one up because I think it's just worth pointing out to just be curious about what exactly is going on here. What did this verse mean? Is this evidence that they were trading with other people and that they were actually gathering from from trade different types of seed? Or were they just kind of taking an inventory of what Ishmael brought and combining it with what Lehi's family had brought? I don't know, but I thought it was just worth mentioning just to get our, our curiosity going. Afterwards, Lehi announces that he has had another dream. And I wonder if the sons of Lehi kind of went, whoa, okay, he's had three of these dreams or visions, and it's required a lot of work for us afterwards. So I just wonder, I don't know, I just wonder what they were thinking. He states that he has reason to rejoice in the Lord because of Nephi and Sam, for he had reason to suppose that they and also many of their seed will be saved. And that must have brought him a lot of joy, and I hope it brought Nephi and Sam comfort. But in referencing Laman and Lemuel, Lehi feared exceedingly. And I think this sets the tone, the emotion, and the urgency in which his dream was going to be delivered by him to his family. He had sons to teach, to inspire, and you better bet that Father Lehi was going to seize this opportunity to make an impression on those boys. So another question that I have, we're taught that all of the revelations that Joseph Smith received, a question preceded it. And I wonder if this vision, if this dream came as a result of questions that Lehi had about his sons. Did he know what had transpired in the wilderness between Laman and Lemuel and Nephi? Nephi forgave them, but did he still let his father know what had happened? Did Sam? Did Ishmael? Did Lehi take a concern to the Lord about his sons, and then the Lord was answering him in this dream? I don't know. Possibilities, something for us to consider, that revelation does come to us after we ask questions, but it doesn't give us any indication in Nephi's record that that was the case. What we are told is that Lehi saw in his dream a dark and dreary wilderness, and a man dressed in a white robe came and stood before him. 
And he spake to Lehi and told Lehi to follow him. But as Lehi followed, he noticed that he was in a dark and dreary waste. And after traveling for many hours in darkness, Lehi began to pray unto the Lord. Why? Imagine dark and dreary. What comes up for you imagining that? A dark and dreary waste. Anxiety, depression, hopelessness, confusion. So Lehi began to pray unto the Lord that the Lord would have mercy on him according to the multitude of his tender mercies. And it's recorded, and it came to pass that after I had prayed unto the Lord, I beheld a large and spacious field and a tree whose fruit was desirable to make one happy. As I pondered on the attribute of mercy, Lehi's vision took on another element that I had never explored before. What if this dream was all about mercy? For hours, Lehi traveled in this dark and dreary waste, and his vision, his dream only brightened once he asked for mercy. And it reminded me of Nephi's declaration that he will show unto us that the tender mercies of the Lord are over all those whom he hath chosen because of their faith to make them mighty, even unto the power of deliverance. I really feel that Nephi is writing, at least first Nephi, with the purpose and intention of flooding us with examples and proof of the Lord's mercy to convince us to seek after it. According to LDS.org, mercy is the compassionate treatment of another person greater than they deserve and made possible through the atonement of Jesus Christ, which is the greatest gift that we have been given. So before mercy was delivered, Lehi found himself in a dark and dreary waste. It was mercy that allowed him to see around him finally. It was mercy that brightened the dark, and it was mercy that gave focus and perspective and eliminated the waste. It also was mercy that gave hope that overpowered the dreariness that he was experiencing. Without the atonement of Jesus Christ, mortality really would be like a dark and dreary waste. But with the atonement, our surroundings become brightened. Our mortality then has a purpose because we can start to work at using our agency that lies before us. So let me explain. So Lehi found himself in a large and spacious field and he sees a tree. And this tree had fruit desirable to make one happy. And Lehi chose to go forth unto the tree and partake of the fruit. And it was most sweet, sweeter than he had ever tasted before. And the fruit was white, exceeding all whiteness. And it filled his soul with exceedingly great joy. So in chapter 11, we'll read that Nephi truly desired to know the interpretation of his father's dream. 
And it was interesting how the Spirit chose to guide Nephi to discover the meaning of the various symbols found in Lehi's dream, especially regarding this magnificent tree. Nephi too was shown the tree, and he witnessed its beauty and whiteness, and he perceived that this tree was precious above all. Then he began to be privileged to see future events begin to unfold before him. And he saw the great city Jerusalem, which would be a testament that Jerusalem would be rebuilt once again. And he saw Nazareth, and in Nazareth, he saw a beautiful and fair virgin. And Nephi was then asked an interesting question. Knowest thou the condescension of God? Condescension. That's a peculiar word that we don't hear very often, but we do hear condescending, and we don't have a positive feeling towards that word. Because we use it for when someone is speaking down to us as if they're greater than us and that they must step down to get on our level so that we'll understand. And ooh, we just prickle at people who are condescending to us. We don't like that behavior. And of course, when we are reading the word condescension in the scriptures about our Savior Jesus Christ, it doesn't have that ew feeling. Instead, it's a feeling of awe because he is love and he's doing it in a loving way. Condescension is a voluntary descent from rank or divinity. So what was the condescension of God? So the vision of future history continued and Nephi saw the virgin carried away in the spirit for some time and then he saw her bearing a child in her arms and the angel introduced the infant as the Lamb of God, yea, even the Son of the Eternal Father. Then Nephi was asked, Knowest thou the meaning of the tree which thy father saw? And Nephi answered him saying, Yea, It is the love of God, which sheddeth itself abroad in the hearts of the children of men. Wherefore, it is the most desirable above all other fruit. And the angel said, Yea, and the most joyous to the soul. Imagine the creator and the upholder of all things voluntarily condescended to leave his rank and divinity and to become an infant of a mortal mother. You know, and not just any infant, but her firstborn. That is mercy. Any mother knows that with the first child, you throw so much into them, and you make the greatest amount of errors, because everything new to that child is also new to you. And that is mercy and love that our Savior Jesus Christ came to earth as an infant. Because frankly, if I was to choose, I would choose to come to earth as my fifthborn versus my firstborn. Because my fifthborn, we've been broken in and we kind of know how to roll with it. But the Savior came as Mary's firstborn. And also the infant that would one day be the Savior of the world condescended to be cared for by a mortal mother, entering life as helpless as you and I did. 
the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, relied on his mortal mother to be comforted. And like the merciful kindness of a mother that devotes herself to her child, the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting. With everlasting kindness will he have mercy on you and on me because he is devoted to us. So events continue to play before Nephi. And now he saw the Son of God going forth among the children of men. And he saw many fall down at his feet and worship him. And again, Nephi witnessed Jesus Christ condescend himself and be baptized, not because he was in need of remission of sins, but because he was here to show us the covenant pathway that we must take. Please consider your covenants to be the love of God. The mercy that he shows to you. Yes, we make promises to God. We promise that we will mourn with those that mourn and comfort those that need comfort and to always remember him and to take his name upon us and to stand as a witness of God at all times and in all things and in all places. And though we may struggle and we may waver in our best efforts to keep these commandments, each one of us will fall short. But in his mercy, he forgives and he redeems those who love him and keep his commandments the best that they can. He is a faithful God. He is love. And despite our errors, he mercifully doesn't turn us away when we come unto him. Instead, he promises that we may always have his spirit to be with us. And I feel like Dave Ramsey when I say that that is better than I deserve. That is mercy. That my best efforts will fall short. But he still, when I choose to follow him and keep his commandments and love him, he will still redeem me. And he will still Allow a member of the Godhead to always be with me. That is better than I deserve. That is mercy. Covenants are his merciful way of encircling us with his love of redeeming power. So I find it interesting that the angels showed Nephi a mother and the infant savior of the world. And then he showed the Savior leading us onto the covenant path. Next, Nephi will then see Jesus Christ teaching to the multitudes, teaching to the skeptic, patiently enduring the deceivers, teaching when he wanted to rest, and teaching when others found it difficult to understand. But in mercy, he continued. Because the Lord shows mercy through his warnings, and he will be merciful unto our weaknesses. And because he himself said, I, the Lord, am merciful and gracious unto those who fear me, and delight to honor those who serve me in righteousness and in truth unto the end. And we know already that he cannot lie. God is rich in mercy and great in his love. 
You know, we are well-versed at considering his merciful healings and making whole the physical and the emotional and the mentally downtrodden. But consider the mercy he showed as he selected men to be fishers of men. Twelve apostles to learn at the feet of the Redeemer of mankind. I'm sure they too would say, better than I deserve. A God who is as great and mighty as the Son of God could have delegated the teachings to others and set himself apart from those who just weren't understanding or so needy of his mercy. But he didn't delegate his responsibility and role to anyone. And instead, he taught and then he taught others to teach so that the gospel of Jesus Christ could continue to roll forth. Particularly surreal and honestly quite difficult for me to comprehend was the Lord's condescension even in his death. He who will one day advocate for you and me permitted himself to be taken by the people, judged of the world, lifted up upon the cross, and slain for the sins of the world. All of which Nephi saw and bore record of. Our future advocate, who was persecuted and killed by the judgments of man, proclaims to us, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He delights in mercy and retains not his anger. And he promises us, though they may forget, yet will I not forget thee. Yes, the love of God is the most desirable fruit. The love of God that he shows us through his daily mercies upon us, made possible through his atonement, has the power to nourish us with its sweetness, to illuminate our eyes with its whiteness, and to fill us with exceedingly great joy, all because he is mercy. That is better than I deserve. On the Sermon on the Mount, our Lord teaches, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. And this condition is clear, that the natural man that carries grudges, who hoards, who is skeptical, and who is envious, we must put off. And what doth the Lord require of thee but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God? No wonder, after Lehi had partaken of the fruit, he looked for his family. For he desired them to be filled with the same love, joy, and mercy that he was experiencing. And just as a side note, I think this is why our hearts do hurt when our family members decide not to continue in the faith. Because we have a testimony that the love and atonement of Jesus Christ, of our covenants that we are keeping, do fill us with exceedingly great joy. That somewhere in us knows that, even though perhaps on a day-to-day basis, we aren't comprehending that. But with a loud voice, Lehi beckoned his family, and Sariah, Sam, and Nephi 
came unto the tree, and they did partake. He then looked for Laman and Lemuel, and he found them, and he beckoned for them, but they would not come. The mercy of the Lord, made possible by his atonement, brings us out of the dark and dreary waste and gives us power to choose him or not. Sister Scriptorians, I challenge you to practice mercy. Treat others better than they deserve. Forgive the inadequate apologies. Mourn with those that mourn. And treat yourself better than you deserve by finding joy in the love and mercy 